Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable. Uh, this is a special edition of the Wiser Roundtable. Today, I have Mary O'Brien. She is the Senior Vice President of Engagement from Help the Persecuted. Hi, Mary. Hi, Casey. How are you? Doing great. I'm so glad to have you here with us. Mary, you and I have gone back uh, many years with our friendship, and you're even a client here at Wiser Wealth Management. So we're happy to not be talking, I guess, today about finance, maybe. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm glad you're not pushing me to put more money in my 401k It's today. horrible, isn't it? <laughs> Sa- that savings just gets in the way of everything. <laughs> so we'll start, uh, let's talk about your organization, Help the Persecuted. Uh, yes, thanks so much for having me today. And it's exciting to be able to share a little bit more about the ministry. Uh, Help the Persecuted started actually back in 2011 as a small fund of a larger uh, ministry. And in 2018, we spun off to form our own standalone ministry. And just with the realization of uh, how much really persecution worldwide is growing every year, uh, reports and statistics come out that show that it is increasing um, more and more hundreds of millions are facing extreme persecution around the world for their faith. And uh, our ministry wanted to really focus on growing our team in the Middle East and North Africa and growing our ability to put funds out into the field and to help more persecuted Christians. So that's a little bit just to kind of our history and what we're doing today is working uh, through a field ministry team and through trusted partners throughout the region and basically putting out packages of support, uh, tailored packages really, based on people's needs. So there's a there's really an individual kind of hands-on component to what we do. It's not just a humanitarian effort. Um, we get to know families, their needs, and uh, many of the people we deal with are converts to Christianity from Islam and they're facing persecution from their own families often. They've lost their jobs. They've been ostracized in their communities. They're also facing pressure from their own governments, from police, and uh, they need support. And so we offer things from the very basics, like just food, um, help with their basic living expenses, up to things like safe housing, medical assistance when that's needed. We have a network of 15 safe houses throughout the region. Uh, that hide individuals who are in imminent danger. We also provide medical assistance to those who maybe are in a location now where they don't have access just to basic medications that they need um, or have faced trauma and need medical care. We do pastoral support, trauma care, and really there's a, there is a big spiritual component to what we do, uh, offering discipleship, helping new believers grow in their faith, spiritual encouragement to those who are facing isolation. So there's just, there's a huge gambit to what, to what we're doing and how we're providing that support. You know, I, I don't know that people fully understand the Muslim faith and how mm-hmm. cruel it can really be. Here in the U.S., we don't, we don't witness this. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's, maybe they're here fleeing. Uh, maybe they're here because they're Muslim by name and not by practice necessarily. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me, or, or kind of puts goosebumps uh, on me, honestly, I read some of the stories of where you've been able to intervene. Uh, you have mm-hmm. a, a mom whose husband has gone radical. They're the people you see on the news with mm-hmm. the guns, right? So she's running to safety with her children and he's trying, he's threatening her. He's trying to kill her, trying to kill his own children. 
<laughs> yes. Right? I mean, that's a real that's a real thing. That's not just, oh, that only happened in that one family. It's a recurring thing. It's a young man who converted from Muslim to Christianity who met a Christian young lady, and they want to get married, but her family doesn't like him because he used to be mm-hmm. Muslim, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, last year we were fortunate to help over 46,000 persecuted believers. And as you're saying, you know, the, these aren't just numbers. There's a story behind each one of those, and we're, we're hearing those stories. And one that sticks out to me that really just kind of blew our whole office away as we were kind of living it alongside him uh, was a young man in Iraq who had contacted our team. He had come to faith and he was being persecuted by his family. He reached out to our our team member in Iraq and basically said, they're going to kill me and I just want to be baptized before I die. You know, and that and that was it. That was what he wanted. Wow. Um, and it really carried on for a few weeks there that it was him and his cousin, actually, who had come to faith. And both of their families, I mean, he'd been, they'd been imprisoned at home. His father had broken all of his fingers as punishment for this. They'd locked him in his room. They were withholding food. His brothers were beating him. I mean, things we, like you just said, we can't imagine, um, all because he was leaving Islam and had embraced Christ. And ultimately, uh, because of the help of his sister, he was able to reach our team member when he escaped from his room. And we had a couple who we'd previously helped in the same city where he lived who made it over to his house, picked him up. We got him to a safe house, uh, picked up his cousin. They stayed in the safe house. We then had to fly them to a neighboring country. They had to leave Iraq completely. They're in a neighboring country now. He's had some severe medical issues from just the torture he'd endured. He's had stomach issues, probably just from stress and from not having proper nourishment during that time. So he's just needed multiple levels of care. Uh, But what was exciting was actually just a few weeks ago, his cousin uh, shared with our team, he went to church for the first time ever in his life. And he just said, this is the most joy I've ever felt. Um, You know, thank you so much. And, you know, but here are these two young men, they've given up everything you know they they'll never see their or potentially never see their families again never live in their home country again and they're having to completely start over again all because of their faith in christ it doesn't seem real no it doesn't seem real it doesn't and and you think to have that kind of the experience they've had that would strengthen them to face all of that and give all of that up to follow the Lord is just really amazing. And again, what a privilege it is for us to come alongside people like that. They need, how are they going to pay for, you know, they need to leave. Who's paying for that? You know, how, where are they going to live? How are they going to get settled? So to have all those things taken care of for them and to have the encouragement and the community of believers around them as they are starting that new life is huge. So, so, so in his case, he's, he started this new life, I guess, with with his cousin. Mm-hmm. Are they safe where they are going forward? Or are they always at risk? I would say just based on the experience I've had in, in hearing from our field team, it varies. In their case, we actually have recently heard they may need to move to another country. His family is fairly prominent in Iraq and have a lot of contacts. 
and there is concern they may find them in this particular country because it's it's close by yeah and so they may need to go somewhere else in other cases it doesn't seem to be an issue once they've escaped once they've started somewhere else the families maybe don't have the kind of resources and the kind of connections that they'd be able to locate them. So it is, it can kind of go either way. But in their case, they actually have said they're considering moving them to yet another country to really settle there because they're not sure they're going to be safe where they are. I think about my drive to church on Sunday morning, and sometimes that's not the most pleasant drive to get three children in the car (laughs) who don't necessarily want to go, you know, and all the fighting and gnashing of teeth. Every time we get there, we actually need church. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> listeners who can relate. <laughs> um, but you know, think about these these young men, and they get to go to church for the first time. And then not only that, they know that there's a price or a target on them, and they just want to be baptized before they die. Yes. And, and how simple that is. Mm-hmm. It just kind of brings everything back in. Even you know, what do we do here? We manage, we manage money, we manage wealth. Um, but in the end, maybe that's not all that matters. I think mm-hmm. these, these stories are great examples of that. Uh, you know, what you just said reminded me, I had the privilege of traveling to Egypt with the ministry. Outside of Cairo, we went to a small church to attend the baptisms of several Muslims, which is a dangerous undertaking. Um, it's illegal. And again, we weren't particularly in danger as Americans visiting this church, but this church that does this, you know, they're they're constantly facing the danger of doing that. And we uh, walked into the church, and it was fairly, fairly full, and the police came in, and they wanted to know, well, what are these Americans? We saw, basically, they saw Westerners coming in and were suspicious of what was happening. Mm. The pastor kind of blew it, was like, oh, yeah, we deal with this kind of stuff all the time here. You know, talk to them. They ultimately left. And still, these people got up, you know, right after the police had just been there, got up in a microphone, gave their testimonies, you know, with such great joy. And what I what I kept thinking, exactly what you were just saying, I was just so convicted of, here, like, first of all, I wouldn't come out to go to the baptism probably of someone I don't know. And yet what a, what a joyful thing it is to witness and to celebrate. But then also, I mean, the ceremony lasted for quite some time, but there was so much joy, singing, praising. And I just was so overwhelmed thinking what this meant to them. And they're asked, you know, are you willing to die for your faith? And they, they mean that when they're asked that, you know, here it's like, We just don't face that. And then we don't take, you know, let's go have a piece of, let's go have cake after and everybody's happy. (laughs) And so it it is like you just said, perspective. And I think being able to engage more and more with the persecuted church, it gives us that perspective of what really matters. So let's shift gears a little bit. One of the reasons that I had you come on today is I honestly, I don't, I don't watch TV that much really at all. I don't watch uh, local news at all. I don't watch Fox or CNN. I, I do read the Wall Street Journal. Um, I feel like it's my job to stay on top of things. And I read really boring research reports. But I have been glued to the TV for the last five days because of what's happening in, in Afghanistan. Yes. And there's been a lot of mistakes made. And I do not want to go into the politics of mm-hmm. it. But there have been a lot of mistakes made on this decision to leave, which... Everyone said we should be leaving, but what's happened is we've we've left a lot of people behind. And there's good people, former military, money backers, large support, to pull Christians out 
but it's being blocked partially by our own government. Why? I don't know. I assume it's politics. They don't want a Christian to look like they're winning or they're saving the day um, because the current administration kind of has mud on their face right now. But there's people left behind. We know this. Mm -hmm. I think uh, your website even references at least 200 families that you're aware of that have reached out. Is that correct? Yes, that we're working with in person. I mean, there's probably tens of thousands uh, of converts and um, ethnic minorities who are persecuted there, who are hated by the Taliban and that type of thing that have been left behind. And then, you know, it's, it's about 1,000 individuals, probably 200 families or so that we are in contact with personally. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting on Fox, there was an interview with Glenn Beck, who I don't always follow. He's, mm-hmm. he, can be, he can go <laughs> off the deep end pretty quick. <laughs> but I will say he has a big heart, and he is over there with his own money, his own resources, and he's trying to get people out. He's working with his partners who have planes sitting in, in neighboring countries, and he's like trying to get people there, and they're being blocked by our own State Department. Mm-hmm. Our own State Department is not allowing Christians to exit Afghanistan, which is very, very, very frustrating from mm-hmm. from my standpoint. And you offline here have said that Josh and his group have also uh, are hearing some of the same things. So it's not just Glenn Beck grandstanding on Fox News. It's, it's being supported by a lot of other people who are part of this movement to move people out. But what specifically are you guys doing in Afghanistan right now to help these people? Yes. Yeah, so it's, you know, as, as you and I were talking offline, I mentioned I mean, since day one of this starting, you know, it's it's a moving target. Like each day, di- different things are developing and changing, and our role has just grown and grown and grown each day. The Lord's just sort of opened doors for us to minister there. And I think, you know, even putting it in context, part of our mission statement is that we rescue, restore, and rebuild. And we've kind of put some things in context of what we're doing in Afghanistan under those those headings. It almost makes it easy to, to kind of understand. But the, the rescue piece, of course, is the urgent piece right now. And as we just mentioned, you know, there's there's approximately 200 families we're working with and trying to get them out of Afghanistan. Their lives are in danger, imminent threat. Early on, that was trying to get them on manifests and onto flights and Kabul, but you know that mainly was thwarted. There were a f- one or two families we were able to help out, you know, through wow. that system. But again, there were many more we were trying to help that we just couldn't get them on, you know, get them through the door. Uh, now, what we're working on is uh, more of a, a ground game, if you will, where you know a lot of these people, you know, they can't go home. They're they're hiding. So we've we've worked out ways to get money into the country. Uh, and distribute Monday through through trusted partners that we're working with on the ground, distribute money to, to these families, helping just with their immediate critical needs, just so they can survive during this time. Even things, things I hadn't thought of, like getting them more minutes for their cell phones so they can communicate. You know what I mean? Right. Just things you're, you're, things we're not thinking, or at least again, hadn't crossed my mind of like, oh, people, people need that just to survive. But then the larger piece being the transportation. So trying to help them get to, there are, and I, there are areas in Afghanistan right now uh, where flights are going out or at least attempting to go out from. So trying to get people to those locations and help them get on those flights if they can. To your point, that is not going smoothly from what Glenn shared and what we're seeing as well. 
So then trying to get people across borders. And of course, borders are closing. They border Pakistan and Iran, which are not exactly places people want to run to. But there are other borders that would be more friendly and better places for people to cross over. We're working on some of some efforts to get people across other borders. So that's and, and those flights aren't coming here. Those fights are just trying to get them no, to Turkey or correct, a, a, a country over there that would mm -hmm. be more hospitable. Exactly, exactly. It ha they don't need to come. They, they, there's other arrangements um, yeah. in some of the neighboring countries, exactly. So that's that kind of rescue piece. Another part of that is just knowing that as this window is closing, perhaps, of getting people out, of continuing to set up ways to support people who remain inside Afghanistan. So that's a piece of what we're doing to be able to continue to support them and help them help them stand firm. Uh, we have actually a facility in a, again, in a kind of undisclosed area of Afghanistan that is uh, providing temporary housing uh, that's already being, been set up and is active. So there's things like that that we're already working on on the ground. And then that other piece, kind of the restore and rebuild, is the working with displaced Afghans, uh, displaced persecuted people who are coming out of Afghanistan. Again, as I mentioned earlier, there's it's a little bit of a moving target because it kind of does depend where do people land, what countries are they able to get into. Uh, but there's a number of countries already that are receiving displaced people that we have uh, staff and or trusted partners in those areas where we'll be delivering those tailored packages of support we kind of talked about earlier, right. living expenses, housing, medical care. So it's care. not just getting them out, but it's also supporting them once they're out. You're not going exactly. to say, hey, you, we just dropped yes. you off in Turkey. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hope you make it. Because um, <laughs> right. truly think about it again, they're being, they've left every, they've left with nothing. True. You know, you're probably in a place you don't speak the language. And what we have seen, frankly, in a lot of places that we're working, Turkey, with who has a number of Iranian refugees and other refugee populations, Lebanon, Jordan, who hosts a lot of Syrian and Iraqi refugees, refugees are then persecuted, actually, uh, doubly persecuted, because they're seen as, when COVID started in Turkey, they were blamed for spreading COVID in Turkey. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? And you have um, kind of persecution on top of persecution a lot of times. So the, the support is really needed. Otherwise, you are just leaving people kind of flailing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're, not only are you probably a minority in that country now, but you also have a different religion than yes. what the host country is, Correct. has. And so, you, yeah. It's Correct. A, could it's, end up it, in the exact same situation all over again. Mm -hmm. And in a number of countries, uh, you're not even allowed to work uh, if you're a refugee. So it's not even that they're looking for handouts. It's that they have no other way to survive if they right. don't have some type of support. So how do they communicate with Help the Persecuted, these, these, uh, these families? The ones that are inside Afghanistan right well, now? Well, or just in just, general. Uh, in general... Uh, there's a few ways that we kind of come in contact with families in need through our field ministry staff that are, again, kind of positioned throughout countries in the Middle East and North Africa, through church bodies that are there. Sometimes those are underground church bodies that, you know, are not really known publicly, but it's a underground secret kind of group of, of believers. And in some countries, they are uh, known churches. You're allowed to have a, a Christian church in some countries. So it can be through that. And then through trusted partners, as we mentioned. And so what will happen is they will kind of notify us like, oh, okay, we're working with this family 
and they had these needs or they just escaped from here and here's their situation. Uh, can you help with this? With our safe house, you know, it'll be, again, people typically on the run in imminent danger that have, have come our way through through various contacts. And then that's how we are kind of, we vet the cases and we support them. We have lightning funds available, which mean our team can use them at their discretion because sometimes it needs to happen right then. The help yeah. needs to happen right away. And otherwise, if it's a larger kind of package of support, we're going to vet those cases. We're going to make sure to the best of our ability um, that, you know, I's are dotted and T's are crossed with the story so that we can, you know, feel good about what we're investing in and hand out the, the support that we're giving. That's great. Well, I, I know that there's a, uh, a rush with, you know, what's happening in Afghanistan, literally what we see on the news. But I think we tend to get tone deaf to mm -hmm. fully understanding what's happening. So thank you for sharing the stories of individual people. Um, yes. I think that kind of brings, that brings it home, but that's mm -hmm. not just one of those two families. It's, it's just known that that that's what happens across the board, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I hope pray that that never happens here. Um, but sometimes you wonder, Yes. you, you wonder do. how far, how far away that is, mm -hmm. uh, at, at times. Mm -hmm. But thank you for sharing your story and about help the persecuted. The website, you can go to htp.org backslash wiser, W-I-S-E-R, uh, to learn more about the organization and what they're doing. And you can uh, look at our show notes here for the podcast, uh, and the link will also be there to help the persecuted. Mary, thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. Thanks for listening to the Wiser Roundtable podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. That way you don't miss out on new episodes. Head to wiserinvestor.com and reach out if you have any questions. We would love to hear from you. Today's episode was produced and edited by Lilton Moore. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.